This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. Listeners, we've got a question that we at Village Church are dealing with right now. And while this podcast is going to be about one particular question that's being uh, asked by us, we have dealt with this at Village Church numerous times in the last several months. And so this question is being asked by one person, but it has been asked literally by dozens that we have uh, counseled with, we've visited with, and uh, we are uh, experiencing showing up at Village Church in the last several months. Here's the question. I'm a former member of two mega churches in this area. I am reluctant to get involved at this church because I have experienced leadership hurt. How do I overcome this reluctancy? Yep, that's, wow. So uh, the airing of this is Monday, February 11th. Is that right? Yeah, feels right. So last night, February 10th, even though it's the week before technically as we record this. <laughs> yes. so. We do sometimes record ahead of time. So last night, uh, I did a class at church called Overcoming My Church Hurt. Mm-hmm. What I can already tell you from the signups is that apparently – we tapped into something that's very real. Yes. I've been asked to do a course like this for the last two or three years, but just hasn't felt right. Um, so I, I have been pretty candid about what we've experienced in the Chicago area over the last five years. It's been nuts. And over the last, I'd say, three to six months, there has been a great upheaval in the Chicago area. Yes. So um, uh, I won't even begin to try to diagnose everything, but maybe I'll give you a little bit of it, an insight. About 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, we had the recession. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that time, churches had one of two decisions because money was down and uh, people were leaving smaller churches for the mega church. For the bigger it's churches. Yeah. interesting because that's been going backwards in the last three years. In fact, there are, there are a couple mega churches in our area that grew exponentially. Maybe they don't even know is they grew off the backs of many smaller churches. Right. So it would not be unusual in that time for a church of under 400 to lose about a quarter of their people and almost all of their students to larger churches. Um, and that was something every church dealt with. So with that was decreased money, et cetera. So um, what churches had to do is they had a couple decisions to make. And the decision was, what will we do with money and staff? Yeah. And there are two options that they had in that time. And the option number one was to spend more money and get more staff, or option number two was to spend less money and right-size our staff and get out of debt. Yeah. So um, churches, I would, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an emotional number, okay? So this is, I, I can't validate it. I'm, there's no study on this, although I, I think in the next 20 years, people will write books on what happened in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So um, my guesstimate would be about 85% of churches— took the following uh, approach to the recession. They spent more money. They did not right-size their staff. And the bigger the church, the more they invested, i.e. debt. Yes. Because you're growing. And especially in that time, uh, again, it's only 10 years ago, but people forget, like, like I preached a sermon in 2014 about gender, right? Uh-huh. And our church, a bunch of people said, that'll never be an issue. It's an out-of-date issue. Like now we're just, that's five now years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, I mean, just, it was a different world. Like people just, the iPhone just came out, the first smartphone, you know, yeah. the world was different. So uh, pastoral ministry actually has just transformed in that time. And so 
Um, in Chicago, um, one of two things happened. People either right-sized, stayed out of debt or got out of debt, or they dug in. And um, what you're finding is there was about a three to five-year initial pan out of this where we started to watch in the Chicago Burbs churches closing, left yes. and right churches in Bartlett. Otherwise. Yeah, the churches that are two to 500 debt overstaffed, those were the ones that yep. couldn't sustain themselves. They, they could not. And the greater the debt, the faster the implosion. And then there were a number of churches that were smaller, let's say under 150 under. people, but they had tons of money in the bank. So mm-hmm. what happened to them is their churches got smaller. They still were overstaffed and they started to, u- to use their reserve funds. Yes. And so there are churches that spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, sold property, done different things. So um, to try to just survive longer. And, and I get it. I do. You, you love your church. It's your people and you have the money. So I get it. Right. So what happened in that time is, is a couple churches, a few in the area, decided to play the long game. The vast majority reacted. Mm. And what we're watching, there was, there was about a three to five year play out of this. And now there's about a, a nine to 12 year play out. Uh, and that's more anecdotal, just watching. I'm not speaking for any other area in the world or America. I'm just talking about right here. And so we're again watching a new crisis. And this new crisis has emerged with um, a couple uh, megachurch pastoral scandals. Those were the public ones. There's multiple church uh, issues underneath the yes. table in a bunch of places. People are feeling it. You know, they're, they're just like, they're like, why are all the staff leaving all at once? You know, and, and unfortunately, the larger get church gets, the more honest you are about what's really going on, people get really skittish and they leave, you know? Mm-hmm. So large churches sometimes, not always, but sometimes they learn to spin because it's not that the spin is wrong. It's just not the whole truth, but the people just want to know what's really going on, you know? So we're in this new phase of, I've never seen a mix-up of this proportions. I never even imagined it. People are leaving left and right here and there. Uh, even the churches that have had scandals are having new people come to their churches. I mean, it's it's not just all a departure. It's in every way, every direction. You know, it's small churches, the big churches, big churches, the small churches, big churches, laterally moving to other big churches. It is a it is a so like a village. We're not a large church. We're no. not huge. And in the past three months, we can have five to fifteen families a week visiting visiting from and other it, churches it's not just one place no like in fact there's a, i think at last count there's four or five major places we're watching you know the mix-up but, yes. but then there's a whole smattering of smaller churches that like we'll say under 100 people who are like also you know moving around and trying to figure it out and they don't know what to do and and i think it's it's exponential because what happens is you see one family moving and uh that enables not a bad way just it maybe gives permission or freedom for somebody else who's wanted to do it for a long time to yeah. do it. And and now you have church after church after church, and it's it's just like a snowball. It's so – it feels unstoppable at some point. There's another category of church, though, that didn't go into debt, that didn't overstaff, and they played the long game. And they – most of them began thinking about church planning about five years ago because they're watching all these churches close. And so there is actually a new – I'll just call it a generation of churches – um, that are actually intent on growing small. It's yes. a different philosophy. And some and that, of that's generational too, by and, the way. And for this, our listeners, yeah. that is the philosophy. That is the story of Village Church. It was a hard story because we grew to almost 350, 400 people before we hired anyone else. It was me and a part-time youth pastor and a three-quarter time uh Office, office person. You know. I was and, exhausted. You came into yeah, that. And you were I, our first hire. Yeah, I was yeah. your first hire. And I came in and saw, wow, these guys really are playing the long game. I remember 
what you and I talked about at the very beginning is we made a commitment that we would not hire a second full-time pastor until we paid off the debt. Yeah. And I, I thought, man, I have the amount of years I've been in church ministry and to hear that, wow, that was so refreshing for me. Yeah. It's like, you guys are playing the long game. It, it was gut-wrenching. And um, I'll be honest, it was, I mean, you know, you walked into and I was just, I was tired, you know, and and I was nervous about hiring somebody and I was all, <laughs> I was all hot mess, you know, but um, our context was a little different. Like ours was so clear. I'd love to say like, go us. We For us, it really was a decision of if you don't, you'll close. Yeah. Some churches aren't at that like. And honestly, a lot of village church didn't realize how dire it was. Um, the Lord came through in some miraculous ways to preserve us. And so as I say that, like, I think the churches that are to be most applauded for it are the ones who could have survived longer. When I came in on as an interim, one of the discussions I had with our elders at the time was it's 50-50 whether or not this church can make it. Just looking at the debt, looking yeah. at the um, – um, uh, what do you call it when somebody leaves and you give them money? The severance packages. Severance packages. We had three severance packages at the time. We had uh, I was like five six hundred thousand dollars in debt. We were down to one hundred and sixty people or less. Looking at all of it, we had about about one hundred and sixty three thousand dollars of immediate needs that, if not met, um, would actually begin to to compromise the building and the and especially the sanctuary. And uh, anyways, a lot a lot of issues. But the one see we were we were in like we got to make a big decision. Yes. The churches that I think deserve the most applause are the ones who didn't need to do it, but chose to do chose it. Do it and anyway. there are a handful of them. I just so appreciate those guys. We were forced. You know what yeah. I mean? When your hand's forced, you do crazy things. But like, so what's happening though is you're watching now. There's a, an emergence of churches that are have been watching this for a long time, played the long game. They're starting to plant churches and they're smaller, mm-hmm. but they're not, they're not, they're just the, it's not the same crazy. It's yeah. harder because like um, our church plant, for example, it's a setup teardown. Yeah. And that freaks people out and Craig works his rear off, but yep. the community is unbelievably beautiful and uh, fruitful. And, and so like there, there is a, 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 I don't know, there's just some new rules now, you know? And so we're, we're in this accelerated season of watching the churches that didn't make great decisions 10 years ago. They're running out of money. They're running out of trust, you know, and there's a turnover. Yeah. And that's really, really hard. Now, as I say that, I don't have um, – there are some exceptions to that rule. There are really good churches doing really good things, and yet they've just hit some hard times. Yeah. And I, I think we would be completely inappropriate if we said that um, people are leaving your church because you're not good leaders. Sometimes people are leaving your church because you're leaving, leading really well. Yes. And I want to be really clear about mm-hmm. that. So I don't have a judgment for a specific church. I'm just saying that like – it's a lot of things have been happening. We, we've talked about Willow on this podcast. In fact, Willow handled itself with unbelievable financial integrity yes. over the last 10 yep, years. They, they, have. they were a bastion of like, of, of inspiration to so many people. Now, unfortunately, if you were on the staffing side of that, a lot of people were let go and there was an incredible amount of pain, but just yes. on a sheerly financial level, um, their challenges have been more with Bill Hybels and the leadership struggles he's had. And we've, we've, we've been asked about that on this podcast yes. and, it's yes, not like it's have. a mystery what's going on. We can talk about it. But they've done a really, really – I'm actually really proud of them. And their elders made some incredible decisions in the wake of that by stepping down when they yes. overspoke. They apologized. They removed themselves. They put new leaders in. And yep. they're really um, – they're they're thriving, I think. And sort of, they'll make it to the next season because regularly they have thought ahead. They've thought in terms of church planning. they thought in terms of financial frugality. They When they their leaders have lost trust, they remove themselves inevitably and – they did what needed to be done. Yes. But if you're in the pews 
and your senior pastor does that, that is, that stinks. Yes. That is like the worst. And, um, and then when you go to another mega church and the pastor breaks trust and now you're like, okay, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I'll give a simple principles and encouragement, Tim, then I'll give it to you. I do okay. have history of Chicago in this little short period of time here, but, um, so a little bit of like just encouragement. Nobody's been more wounded by the church than Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. It's the bride of Christ. He loves it. And yep. we have, I, I don't want to overstate this or understate state, say this. Um, your question was, how do I overcome? And, and we have a, an, a privilege, a duty, an obligation to not let this cripple us. Yes. Each follower of Christ has that privilege. Individually. It doesn't mean it's easy. It does, I'm not saying get over it. It's not, that's no, not that's the not answer. that's not what we're saying. Your pain is legitimate. It is understandable. It is real. And your pain also needs a time of grieving and a time of healing. But the devil would love to make you impotent for him, yes. for the Lord, for a long time. And anecdotally, I, I watch, about, I'd say, a three to four, three to five year period of ministry impotence from people who are wounded in contexts like this. And uh, one of my desires is to intervene before that happens yes. and activate people in their pain. Sometimes some of the greatest fruit and humility you'll have is is being activated in pain. Now, yes, sir. it's not a script for everybody. I'm just saying my passion is to stop this multi-year process of ministry impotence and just backing off and running away from the church. So that being said, when, not always, but I think if you think about your church, I, I mean, this person wrote the churches down that they were at. Yeah. I think if you thought about the church, you'd realize you had you had some men with unusually incredible levels of giftedness. Yes. Where despite maybe character issues, the Holy Spirit legitimately bore unbelievable amounts of fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting. Studies are done on high impact leaders. And I don't just mean like we're all high impact. I mean like people who do big, huge things. Yes. And almost every study comes back to this, that that the people who are the most charismatic and fruitful, who are so, not just good, but they're great at one or two things, typically have a corresponding weakness that is as bad. Yes. Now, that's not all, all the time, but that is most of the time. It's It's almost like just the numbers, you know, pan themselves out that... You need to be careful when you have somebody that is so fruitful. They walk into the room and people flock to them. Like, yes. You know what I mean? That's just yep. now. Now you get a guy. You get some of these older guys like Swindoll, who's just led with humility, or Billy Graham. These were the guys who struck me as having this unusual, unique giftedness. But they recognized the shadow side to them, yes. and they staffed it out and protected themselves. Mm-hmm. They had a high enough EQ. So I, I don't want to say at all. Be be like judge everybody if they're too gifted they're too good at something, then they must end up being terrible. You can see the protective mechanisms they put around their lives. And I think it's really fair to say, what are your protective mechanisms? And they do start with your constitution and your church polity and your governance structures and the relationship with elders. Like if there's not elders, I'm concerned Mm -hmm. deeply. I don't care what you call them. There's got to be neutral power, empowered elders in any church, you know? But I do think for most people, You've lived in the mega church world, and I would just tell you it's probably time to get into a family church, meaning it's going to be under 800 people, yeah. probably under 400 people, maybe even under 200 people. Here's your problem. They're not going to have a $40 million a year budget, right. and their music is not going to be done by professional musicians, mm-hmm. and the preaching is not going to be done by a worldwide communicator who gets paid $10,000 to preach at conferences. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be a normal dude, Yeah, and he's going to give like 
five really good sermons a year and the rest are going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, Rick Warren says to preachers, don't hit a grand slam every time. It's not possible. Like get on yep. base, even if That's you right. walk, you know, yep. Yep. and you're going to get it. Like very few people can hit a grand slam yep. every single week. You That's know? right. And uh, I forget who said it. Maybe it was Kerry Newoff. He said, uh, most people get a, one or two home runs in them a year if they're lucky, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, but when you get these guys who hit home runs every week, you're yeah. like, what the heck? And you feel insignificant and small. Yep. And, but here's where I found um, what you look at in a megachurch world often as insignificant un- and unfruitful are some of the most life-giving, dynamic, yes. life-on-life, real places on the planet. And I, there's, there's no criticism of megachurches because they are too. Yeah. But it's such a different headspace you have to be in. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just go in with the expectation that the Holy Spirit can move just as much in my heart and life through a boring sermon than he can through a professional speaker. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. here's the secret, yeah. right? Like. Good communicators can move emotions, but that's not always the fruit of the Spirit. Right. You will find sometimes that a small church pastor doesn't move you to emotions every week, but the fruit he bears in you lasts. Lasts, because it's done on a relational basis. Right. Okay, again, it's the second podcast in a row where I just stole it, and I was like, (laughs) I got this, Tim. I'm going to deal with this. I apologize for that. But I I just got done teaching a class. In theory, I didn't, but— Yeah, yeah, exactly, because we are dealing with that here, and you and I both have experienced— what this person is asking, but we've experienced it not just from the uh, church member level, but we've experienced the hurt of the leadership failure on a staff while we run a staff and the person who was supposed to be our leader failed either morally or on a character issue mm-hmm. or something. So we can feel what this person is asking yeah. or what these people are going through. You know, my advice to the to those that are, I'm reluctant to you know, jump back in after being hurt by a church leader, that that's a real thing. You know, and to say just to get over it, as we said, is impractical, it's it's cold-hearted, and we don't want to be there. Nope, not at all. And, and we've said this before, you know, there's, there's some hurts that go deep. It's the father wound and it's the church wound that, that hurt us the deepest, especially as Christians, when we give our life. And, and in essence, if a person is following Christ— and involved in a local church and giving their life away in that ministry for the the mission of their local church, and then to be to be disappointed or even feel their trust violated by the leadership of that church, that's a real wound, and that's a wound that takes time to heal. But I appreciate the way you started this podcast about telling the story that there are churches, there are church leaders that are worthy of being followed. There are yeah. church leaders that have made the tough decisions and done the right things. There are certain areas of our lives that we say, you know what, when a church leader, a pastor hurts me, then I'm out of here and I'm never going to go back in church. But we would never do that in mm-hmm. any other area of our life. And most of us have bought cars. We've had good experiences buying cars. We have bad experience in cars. And to say, well, I've had a terrible bad experience with a particular salesperson or dealership or car lot, and I'm never going to buy a car ever again. We would never say that. What we would say is the next time I am going to be more careful. I'm going to be, I'm going to be more cautious, but I am going to go into this situation again. And as a Christian, if you're really going to follow Christ, you've got to plug yourself into a local church. You need to give your life away in that ministry, in that mission of that local church, not only for your own spiritual growth, 
but for the spiritual growth of others. So you need to have those others those others that are in that church to be your church family, to be those that speak into your life, that care about you deeply. And most of the people that I've talked to that have had this hurt, they will say, I love the ministry of this church. I loved what this church did for me. I loved the teaching, but I felt so disappointed. I felt so cheated. I felt so, you know, and you can fill in the blank. My trust was violated because my leadership of this church let me down. I get that. And I hear that, but also you need to remember what was the good that came out of that as well and find that again. And reality is going to likely be at a smaller church and there are leaders that are worthy of being trusted. You know what we should do? Uh, Well, two things. Number one is uh, episodes 169 and 170 are uh, answering the question, what questions should I ask before committing to a church? That's a great podcast. We should probably do an episode for Friday where we answer the question of what should I look for in a senior pastor? Yeah, that'd be great. I got to think about that one because I don't want it to be like, <laughs> let me describe myself. Hmm. Yeah, I, got, I really want to think about it because um, you'll be the first one to say, here are some of Michael's weaknesses. Here are some of his strengths. That's everybody. So yeah, everybody has I'm trying it. to get above the fray and even above Village Church and just say, what are, what are some things? So let me think about that one and we'll come back and, and answer that next time. Yeah.